Yeah, um, the, the was the Chechenians was the Dora the Explorer. They wanted to do a Chechen Dora the Explorer, <laughs> and it, it didn't went horribly well. wrong. That's what he says. He's like, it went terribly wrong, and I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? Welcome to B Siders, a podcast to discuss and deconstruct perfectly adequate movies. Not good movies, not bad movies, just fine movies. So fine, in fact, you probably forgot they even exist. Uh, I am Ryan. I'm Joshua. And uh, while we may not be nearly as forgettable as these films, we probably run a close second. That's right. Adequate films for adequate folk. Josh, what do we got today? Well, today we are discussing a uh, 2010 film from Adam McKay. Yep. uh, The Other Guys. And yeah, I wanted to talk about this movie because I do feel like it falls in a perfectly fine i think it's a good movie i really enjoy this movie Um, yeah i think it falls in the realm of perfectly fine in the um in the filmography of adam mckay yeah and it's it's really interesting that you call that out specifically because on my second pass once i knew who was behind this movie and maybe this is unfair um but i i had an entirely different impression of it uh on on my my second watch through I'll say to begin with, there are a lot of parallels for me in terms of how I receive this movie as there were to um, the rundown. Um, There is a lot of stuff that I think is uh, brilliantly woven into the script, the writing. I think there is a very, very smart satire simmering beneath the surface of this movie. But where I get lost occasionally is just some of the buffoonery and some of the like scenes for scenes and to like. To qualify, I have no problem with a slapstick comedy. Uh, It's when a movie tries to branch out into too many forms of comedy that I start to like, I I just, for whatever reason, my brain can't juggle them. Um, But yeah, in terms of Adam McKay's work, I would agree. Perfectly average. Yeah, Adam McKay brought us uh, Anchorman. Yes. Uh, He brought us Talladega Nights. Um, he so al- he also, yeah, the vehicles. big short and vice. He was on the writing teams for both of those as well. Yes. Well, and we're going to, we got to come back to that a little bit later yeah. too, because that's, that's actually very important. Uh, his, his most recent film is, was a big deal. Don't look up. Yes. Oh my God. I love don't look up so much. Yes. So the other guys marks kind of where he started to pivot in what kind of movies he was going to make. And I think it's very, I, I think if you know Adam McKay's full body of work and you watch Talladega Nights versus uh, Don't Look Up, this movie is a perfect pivoting point because it has it has elements of both in them and I think combined a little haphazardly. But again, the, the brilliance of the writing and um, like the, the social satire that is in this film is very present. And I it was it was an extremely fascinating movie to watch, um, especially on the, the second pass. Yeah, there's a uh, this is the moment where I like plug a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, so John Stewart has an Apple TV show right now. Yes. The problem with John Stewart. Problem with does, John Stewart. Yeah, he does a, a supplemental podcast um, that's. Mm-hmm frequent but not exactly like regular um but he did an episode where he is he's just having a conversation with adam mckay and i guess they go way back and um they're talking i can see that yeah and i definitely encourage people to go listen to that episode because mckay really kind of goes into talking about just 
his own career path and then when he started making these movies and what kind of stories he wanted to tell and um how he was kind of going about doing that and uh, there's kind of an interesting message in that in that podcast i think so i will encourage people to go do that rather than us just kind of i'm not going to spoil it for you um because i won't do it as well Um, (laughs) but he he talks a little bit about the other guys and um he said one of the things that really helped with the pivot or this is the takeaway i got was he did this movie and people didn't get it people didn't get the the (laughs) the point i'll be honest on my first pass i didn't get it either it wasn't until i started deep diving it that i was like wait a second this is this is not what it thinks this is not what i think it is is supposed to be yeah yeah well it's 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 a mix so the other guy uh is starring will ferrell mark Wahlberg. um substarring michael keaton substarring michael there's a Okay, there's a lot of comedy gold in this movie. Uh, right off the bat, I'll say I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan. There's there's yeah. like three movies of his that I I actually like, but I've never been a fan of Will Ferrell's over the top comedy, which is he why is, I love this movie because he's he, the straight man, kind of. Yeah, he he's much more subdued, and and I will say he he is definitely hit or miss for me as well. I like, I, I don't love old school the way that other people like really love old school, mm-hmm. but I will say, I, th- I think anchorman is hilarious. That is, I love anchor. Yep. Love anchorman. And I, I, out of weird nostalgia, I do enjoy, um, blades of glory. I don't, I don't know why, but that, okay. uh, that's a Will Ferrell vehicle that I, I quite enjoy. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a mixed bag with him. It is funny that in this movie, he is, the subdued and Mark Wahlberg is playing the, the over the top, the over the top. Um, but you've got Ben Schwartz has a cameo in it. Uh, you know, he was in wreck. Um, David Wallace, the guy that plays David yeah. in the office as well. And, as and that, plays Gabe. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny that when you mentioned that, um, like Adam McKay has a connection to John Stewart, I was like, he's probably just connected throughout the entire comedy industry because I've been rewatching, um, parks and rec lately. And like every five minutes in, uh, the other guys, I'm like, wait, that's th- that person's in parks and rec like regularly. Yeah. 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 It was, um, some good stuff. And then of course, um, you have the, the, the small bit parts, of your badass cops <laughs> at the opening, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Dwayne and the Rock Johnson. And <laughs> so we have, we had a rule going into this where we're like, we're not going to do multiple movies with the same people in it. If we can yes. help it. Um, and so we were like, Oh, but the other guys has the rock, but we can this... get away with it. Cause it has the rock for like two scenes. It's it bends the rule a bit, and I'm okay with it, especially considering the sheer ridiculousness of The Rock and Sam Jackson's sequence. I I'll I'll let this one slide because <laughs> yeah, because I mean there's um we're gonna start talking about other movies. There's a number of Matthew McConaughey films that we want to cover because they are perfectly average, and we'll be saving those for other seasons. But we we didn't want to double up, and that's <laughs> this was an active discussion. Is is this too much rock in one season? No, uh, there's it, there's it's... never too much rock. There's not. It's perfect. And it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I think Samuel L. Jackson has more lines than than The Rock does for, well, for, that's, for their scenes. 
that's because he, again, in the brilliance of this film, he's playing such a caricature almost of himself that everything out of his mouth is just a stream of one-liners. <laughs> it really is. Um, and there's such a tonal shift when they're not on screen. Yes. Like when yeah, they, they have their moment in the precinct and just like the energy is like so like up here, you know, and you're like, wow. And then they exit and then it immediately becomes a very different vibe. Well, and I think that's part of the brilliance of this film. And, and and if you're you're not like looking for it, the movie comes across as uneven in that way. You're just like, why does it just feel like the air's been sucked out of the room? But that's that's part of the satire here is is that these guys bring this certain sort of gravitas. And then when they're not on screen, you're like, well, what are we even doing here anymore? Yeah, they're doing uh, like the other guys is very much a riff on the whole like buddy cop yes uh motif uh you know these two guys who are put together to be partners that they they clearly they're they come from very different places and they have to figure out how to work together <laughs> um, but the the whole film is just playing on this whole idea of of what it means to be a cop and yes. like how hollywood plays up cops we yes. you know we we like our cop movies that are the uh sam jackson the rock like thing where you're like yeah fucking car chase <laughs> and ridiculous bullshit driving a double decker bus and then you're like um it was a half pound of marijuana <laughs> that they're chasing after it results in 12 million dollars <laughs> in property damage <laughs> I, so uh, that was something that I called out because I thought it was a it was again, it was a hilarious moment that I, I, I have to believe was intentional is that he's driving an SS Chevelle in the beginning. It gets wrecked minutes later. It's like respawned. And it's like well, that's got a you new know, one. The first one is, was is, 71. I think the second one is a 72. Oh, my. OK, see, I thought I, it was I, just I, like I, I thought this was I, well. I'll, I want to go back now and pay attention to the detailing on the car because you might be right about that. I thought this was literally just a riff on no matter how destroyed the hero's car gets, it continues to drive regardless. And uh, so it was just, oh, it comes right back around for another round. <laughs> just, and he get you know, and then at the end, uh, at the end of the film, Will Ferrell's new car is a Chevelle. Is a Chevelle. Uh, and Run on the, the oil. <laughs> <laughs> The cars in this movie are really interesting because um, I, I I was thinking about this from, when I was thinking through the the sequel prequel reboot um, aspect. I was like, if this movie was made today, he wouldn't be driving a Prius. It would be a Tesla. And it was one of Probably. those odd little. Yeah. One of those odd little moments that or like dates this movie to its or a leaf. Yeah. Something like that. Um, because I, I will say there is enough in the the dialogue and some of the presentation in this film that dates it just a bit, which is odd considering the movie's only 12 years old. So I Yeah, so I would argue that this movie is um, still highly relevant yes, today. Absolutely. The things that are going on, and it, especially with it being kind of a commentary on yep. law enforcement yes. as well, and like the perception of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um god they're just is it it's damon wayans right that's that's the wayans yeah. brother that's in it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sure like, yep. tips for staying out of jail he's like try your hardest not to be black or hispanic 
That's a good tip. When when he gets right to the the, the classroom of kids. <laughs> oh my god! And then the call this pulls is, out, and they're like, "Guns, guns, 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 guns! Pass them guns, 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 guns! Pass them forward!" Yeah, like the, this this <laughs> lax attitude about their their firearms. Um, oh my god, Michael Keaton's like gun discipline in this movie actually made me nervous. At, like when he's just like scratching his head <laughs> with his just, snub like, nose at one point, yeah, and just drops it. <laughs> Which is all the, the more hysterical that like uh, <laughs> Alan's gun has to be taken away. Right. He's the one that gets his gun taken away, despite the fact that he's clearly the one who is the most responsible. <laughs> um, but like that. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 commentary on law enforcement and how mm-hmm. we have such an over the top like Hollywood fandom of like these these cop movies and the yeah. re- <laughs> versus the reality of the work Um Lots of paperwork, lots of research. I mean, I think Alan Gamble like presents as a what I would imagine is closer to the mark of what a real detective is, where he's like, "There's something weird going on with these, you know, scaffolding rentals," and I'm going to get to the bottom. I mean, he's almost portrayed maybe a little bit more as like an investigative reporter, but I think that there is like that kind of aspect to like the actual like day to day grind of of being a police officer. It's not, you know, jumping off of buildings trying to aim for the bushes. And throughout the entire movie, um, as they're working this investigation, mm-hmm. like, yeah, Alan's doing the work. He's putting in the work, finding the stuff that he finds fascinating in its own right. Right. But Mark Wahlberg wants to be a hotshot cop so bad. <laughs> He's just like, this guy could be doing, this guy could be tied to the human trafficking and, and Colombian drug lords. And they're just like, what? But he keeps coming back to it. Right. The entire film, right up until the reveal. He's just like, it's the drug lords. Right. Exactly. Because he wants it's funny because he wants a Hollywood cop moment. And Alan Gamble is very much more like, no, let's let's follow the facts, follow the case and we'll we'll get him what we can get him for it. The, the crime in this movie is almost very reminiscent of the untouchables where they have to get Al Capone on tax evasion. Uh, because they they couldn't get him on you know like the the murders and all and and you know theft that he's been behind, but they they could prove that he had income and therefore evaded income tax and so they nail him for for tax evasion. Alan Gamble very much reminds me of uh, Wallace in the Untouchables movie in that he's just he's kind of a paper pusher, but uh, it's it's his work that actually brings down the uh, the bad guy. Yeah, the, but but white collar crime just isn't exciting. It, it's not sexy. very hard to make a movie. It's very hard. Crime. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, is I think that the, the white collar crime in this movie was actually um, written really brilliantly, like super intelligent. And again, on my second pass, when I knew that McKay had written uh, or been on the writing team for the big short, I was like, well, this just makes sense. Um, but at the same time, I also feel like there are parts in the second act of this movie that sag because it's not sexy or action packed. You know, it's it's just following financial crimes. And I'm like, uh, I'm I'm kind of bored with this right now, uh, which is maybe in and of itself a commentary on just how we are supposed to receive cop movies. Well, so I learned, yeah. So I learned again through the course of this, uh, the the other podcast I listened to that this film was meant to be kind of a commentary on the 0809 financial collapse and how the government yes. bailed them out and yep, um, all this stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah, I completely missed that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is why he turned around and said, okay, 
I will be a little more direct with it and gave us like the big short. And yes. Some of that. Because up. no, nobody caught that this movie is a, a very interesting commentary on uh, the financial collapse and how so many people's lives and savings were put into spaces that they were highly leveraged. And when that leverage was lost, suddenly they're, they find themselves without any money. And so the, you know, the fact that the police officer's pension fund was essentially a for sale item uh, was a very fascinating approach to this. Um, but again, it's because it, it, it's sort of wrapped in this cocoon of moments of just true buffoonery and, and slapstick that message does get lost. But can we talk about all the people that Urshan has swindled uh, in this movie? Like the Chechnyans? Oh the Chechnyans. The... There, there's jokes. I love jokes where like you just all you get is the punchline and your brain is left wondering, what the fuck? Yeah, um, the, the, was the Chechnyans was the Dora the Explorer. They wanted to do a Chechnyan Dora the Explorer. <laughs> And it, it went horribly well. wrong. That's what he says. He's like, it went terribly wrong. And I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yes. Uh, the the other joke that I just love so much is like the the back and forth where uh, the mother-in-law is trying to relay messages between Alan and his wife. Oh, like, yes. The smoking hot Eva Mendez. Um, <laughs> but the final bit where she's like, no more. You guys say these things to each you other. You say things that I can't like repeat. <laughs> something about a mannequin hand and an electric shaver strapped to a golf club. Golf club. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that that actually both of those lines bring up kind of an interesting thing. I I am very curious about how much of this movie was actually scripted and how much of it was made up completely on the spot because there are there are parts of this movie that it's very clear are being totally ad-libbed. And I think one of the early examples that to me I found hilarious is when uh, Will Ferrell is taking, uh, I'm sorry, so uh, Alan Gamble is taking Terry Hoyt's whole thing about being a lion and being like, a lion in the ocean coming up against me, an 800 pound tuna and my 30 friends. Did that go the way that you thought it would? I didn't think so. And I think that was improv. I think that was. You can see Mark Wahlberg trying not to break you can see his lips twitching just a little bit and he's like trying to hang on to it and they have to cut away from him for a few times because i do i think he completely made up that whole sequence and there are a lot of lines in this movie that in parts the dialogue is very streamlined in other places it it, it, it to me it feels clearly improvisational that's not a bad thing if you have a good improv like comedy team on screen um but there there is a loose feel to some of these scenes and the <laughs> this where they're relaying the the messages back and forth to the mother-in-law that's that's one of those scenes that i'm like they they made this up on the spot there's there's it no way this those, was in a script it's one of those scenes that does not need to happen like, right exactly and that was I, I call that out as well I was like this is <laughs> it's it doesn't too need much. to happen but oh my god it is so funny and the the content of what is being said, like the messages that are being right back and forth, but the like the the absolute seriousness <laughs> of both <laughs> Sheila and Alan as they're getting these messages, like these are this is important to them, right? Exactly, this is it's very important, very important. He's like, I love when we do that, mom. <laughs> <laughs> But a component of this movie that did not age well is uh, Terry Hoyt's homophobia. Yep. 
um, which I I would argue is done on purpose, um, because he's there, such a, a like a macho hotshot cop, yeah, type of guy. So I think he is supposed to be that way. Um, I just think now it would probably be way less well received, even as a joke. It, like it is a joke, but it's it, it still probably is a little uncomfortable. Yeah, those but were I love uh, that joke so much. It is one of my favorite jokes in the movie. Is the ballet? You, know, you could dance like that. He's like, yeah, we learned the dance moves to make fun of the guy down the street, show him how queer it was. <laughs> like, you learn to dance sarcastically. Yeah, I love that idea. But he's like, you know, if you're gonna make fun of somebody, you do it right. You do it right. You, yeah, you better know what you're talking about. What was the other skill that it turns out he has that he also he played the harp? Sarc- he played plays the, the harp. harp at his wedding. That's right. Because uh, yep. he learned it to make fun of the fairy down the street. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, the the uh, Hoyt's homophobia, and there are a number of lines um, that are about women that are really coarse. That I'm like, ooh, didn't age well. Um, well, and- he's just very, he's very, um, yeah, he's just so he's trying to it, be so macho, where he's like, you know, the sound of your piss hitting the urinal, it feels feminine. You know, they're <laughs> they're in the Prius, and they're like, I feel like. I'm in a vagina on wheels or something mm-hmm. it's just like, it, like stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. All his, all his derogatory stuff is very about like being a girl. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's not just, I mean, it's not just Hoyts like that, that dialogue is persistent throughout the film. But again, I, I, I agree with you that I think it's, um, it, it is probably intentionally done in that very satirical way. It just, it's a question of whether or not that could get across the finish line these days. The joke that lands much better is the recurring bit about Derek Jeter. Um, <laughs> the Yankee Clipper. <laughs> the Yankee Clipper. Uh, like they're in the they're in the the therapy room for discharging your firearm. You know? Uh-huh. And they're so mad at him. They're like, could you shot Derek Jeter? And you hear the one guy in the background go, you should have shot A-Rod. <laughs> um, oh, it's like, uh, man. Sir, um, David Urshan, uh, detectives alan gamble and the cop who shot Derek jeter are here. the cop who shot Derek jeter like that's just how he's not and gamble even makes a, a comment at one point after mark Wahlberg, like action heroes six uh motorcycle thugs to the ground and gamble's like drug lords <laughs> gamble's like can you imagine where you'd be in your career if you hadn't shot Derek jeter <laughs> It's such a twist the knife. (laughs) We really should give Derek Jeter an Oscar for his moment because that acting was just. mm. Oh, yeah. On on Dick. I'm Derek Jeter. You shot me. (laughs) Just so. But you know what? I mean, we've discussed in the past. Not everybody can act. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like, you know, he was an amazing baseball player. Good for him. Yeah, that's his wheelhouse. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's totally fine um my other favorite moment in this movie is the mm-hmm. uh the, the quiet fight at the wake i love the quiet fight that is i love it hilarious so hilarious by the way done. did you did you catch the music that was being played at the wake no what was it you gotta you gotta pay attention to shit like this so, I, I know I, this is normally what I, I look for but yeah what is knowing it? what kind of movie this was i was like i need to look this up and sure okay. enough it's vitamin string quartet and they're playing bad boys. So I, what, what I was expecting you to say was it was going to be TLC. That would have been great too. Because there's so many 
uh, TLC references with with Michael Keaton, but Bad Boys. Uh, Bad Boys. Yep. That one that 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 one went over me. I missed that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, the quiet fight where and... they're just like whispering, like. <laughs> <laughs> but then when they break it up, uh, Wayans is <laughs> he's like, next time you meet library. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna have another quiet fight <laughs> they're gonna have a because quiet like rematch. <laughs> in a library because yeah because <laughs> why not <laughs> and that's a that's a line right there where you're like is it scripted or improv uh I, and it seems that, like a, a good improv line it does it, it, it seems like the kind of thing that like uh wayans would be able to just like snap right off the cuff and and be like you know oh i've got this yeah um in every buddy cop uh, story, you have the uh, the veteran police chief or police captain that has just been at this too long. Way um, too long. But is not taking no shit. And Michael Keaton's character, uh, Mock, Captain Mock, uh, mocks that. Yeah. <laughs> he just, he's, you know, they're just like, they're, they're trying and they're trying to like be that with him. And he's like, no, don't call me Gene. Don't call <laughs> me Gene. Captain. I'm, yeah, exactly. Just, but he still wants to be that guy. You know, when he delivers his line, he's like, "Shake your dicks! This pissing contest is over." And he's so <laughs> proud of himself for coming up with that line. He's just like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. I said that. His his character might be my favorite part of the movie. Um, and again, in just one of these like levels of satire, where I I think McKay was really trying to deliver a message. The fact that he has a weekend job at Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, it, it, I was like, first of all, this is probably uncomfortably close to the mark. Like I, I could see yeah. that, you know, like police officers are not paid enough uh, in it, it, to like have the kind of lives that, that they would like to have. And so he has to work uh, in it, at Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, but then the fact when we actually get to see him there and he starts accidentally <laughs> reading from the murder report, and he's like, oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's for my other job. <laughs> like, ignore that. Well, don't don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Walk in pairs. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, I, but Michael Keaton, I think, increasingly is going to be recognized as perhaps one of the most underrated actors of a generation. I, I, he is truly outstanding in just about everything that he does, and this role, um, considering like the the nature, the tone, and the tenor of the movie he just he he nails it like he his subtlety is perfect and i think that's what i love about michael keaton is he is a subtle actor and he's excellent at it that being said i do have an issue with the tlc joke okay go for it i think it comes in too late and um they they throw a bunch of it together right in the third act there like he has the initial one where don't go chasing waterfalls and you're yep. like, okay, yeah, that's funny. But then there's a long time before he does it again. And then they pile like three of them in there, like in that ending no, point. And I was like, no, oh, it's that a, should have been. It's a really good point. Yeah, they they do not distribute that um that, that bit. They don't edge. distribute it correctly throughout the movie. Uh, yeah, it's it it is uneven. Um I, I'll definitely give you that. But my other side of that is I think that this movie in general, even though there's that satirical nature that we kind of discussed earlier, I do still think structurally the film is uneven i think that it 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 has an awesome first act it actually this is one of those parallels that uh reminded me of the rundown as i'm editing the rundown and listening to the commentary that we had on that one is i think that this movie is an amazing first act and sets itself up very very nicely 
the second, the first part of the second act remains strong, but it has some like sag in the second part of the second act where I feel like we get a lot of scenes for the sake of scenes. Um, like the, the mother-in-law going back and forth that like, that was one of them. Um, this is a little earlier in the movie, but the whole FBI mug sequence, like it, it's, it plays for laughs. But I was like, point, this, yeah, go that ahead. is actually my number one non, non-essential scene. Uh, yes. Is the FBI mug. I actually skip it when I subsequently watch, walk, you know, watch the film. Uh, I skip the, the FBI mug part. Yeah. Like, it's, this it's, doesn't, this doesn't matter. It's completely unnecessary. And there's a couple of sequences, unfortunately, like that, where and I think that that's where this movie falls into truly average territory where it could have been great. Um, one, it was maybe too smartly written. I can't believe I'm, I'm saying that, but it's it, it is maybe too uh, like smartly written in, in some sequences um, where when coupled with like the Talladega Night style buffoonery. Um, that message is lost. And two, there there are just some scenes that are are completely irrelevant to the the overall plot. They don't really it, it, like the FBI mug sequence. You don't need that to establish the differences between Terry and and, and Alan. Like it's it, it, I, I get that it's it's played out to like highlight more of the. I just I don't think it was necessary. No, we've we've got it firmly established by then. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. So you didn't need that. The uh, it does get uneven, I think, because of the nature of the conflict of the film. OK, and so you had to because I think they wanted to. Keep it relatively subtle. Sure. Before you build to your finale of this guy and the big reveal that, oh, my God, it's the cops pension fund that's going to get screwed. Right. Um, because going into it, I'll say like the first time I watched it, um, I still hadn't figured it out. Right. Um. And so I think I think that was done really well in that sense, but also is the the you lose yourself in just the the buffoonery of the mismatched partnership. Yeah. Uh-huh. You uh you forget about the conflict itself a little bit. Yes. Which is fine. And it's fine. It, it, it is. But it, I it, I mean in terms of it being a fine movie, that's <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's, that's what why it it's is. fine yeah there's, exactly there's just there are so many good bits in this movie like the 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 over-the-top ridiculous absolutely ridiculous joke of alan just having this thing with hot chicks uh <laughs> is amazing is it that, that was know. very uh jerry gergich from parks and rec where he's uh, married <laughs> yeah, to, I think I it's uh, Christine Brinkley is, yeah. And you're just like, and, and that's maybe a commentary on like how we received, perceived, uh, you know, levels of attractiveness in, in any relationship. But Will Ferrell, especially, it's it's hilarious to watch all of that unfold. Yeah, because you meet, uh, I think the first time I watched it, I missed the 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 little sexy bit with the Brazilian bad guy chick yeah i didn't uh, catch that like either him um but so like for me it's meeting sheila played by eva, Men- eva-, yep. eva mendez who is absolutely smoking hot and she is so smoking hot in this film uh as will ferrell says she's she's cute okay she's, she's okay my wife is cute she is not hot 
Okay. Terry, you don't have to be nice. She looks kind of shitty. She looks kind of... He, he is so cruel to her. Like, the he entire is. movie. He, he is, is almost is. uncomfortably cruel. Um, it, Thank God he finally, like, has that moment where he's like, I do this to cover my own, like, insecurity. Yeah. Um, because you are so beautiful and amazing. And, and I we actually get... You. Yep. And you're like, well, okay, that's that's a sweet explanation. But still, there's a part of you that's like, you should not. It's, it's still not okay. Like this, that's it, it's like it's negging, you know. And that is that like should have gone out the door in 2006. Except you can tell, like, she's not phased by it. Yeah, no, it's tr- it's true. She's she's, she's perfectly fine. Um, "Pimps Don't Cry" is an actual song yeah. that <laughs> her and CeeLo did. <laughs> It's on, uh, like, I, I looked it up on YouTube. It was a Funny or Die bit that came out in conjunction oh, with no. this movie. <clears throat> I, I love it. Big I love song. It. Yep. Pimps Don't Cry. Um, Love that. But yeah, uh, she's wonderful. And just the whole, like, Terry saying goodbye to her, not Alan. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let her, let her know that... That I'm I'm here for her, and, and and if anything should happen to you, I need to step in. <laughs> I have to step in. I have to take care of her wants and needs. <laughs> Weird, man. It's, it's starting to get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but then they go, and then they go visit the ex, the crazy ex, Christina. Christina. So uh, I, I was curious about your thoughts on this. Do we think that this was played as a riff on Fatal Attraction? where she seems very poised and put together at first. And then it turns out she's like, just completely fucking crazy, like out of her goddamn mind. Um, perhaps it might've been like, you, um, I think there's, there's always the discussion of how much crazy are you willing to put up with is always in a direct correlation with how hot someone is. <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Listeners. I don't, I don't know. It's a thing. It's uh, I've I've heard yes I've heard <laughs> but I do know I do know the the choice to name her Christineth was intentional like she had to have this like ridiculous name right. because people get very touchy about, about exactly when they have like a, a a unique name yes yes um but I think it's just to highlight like there's there's some craziness in alan's <laughs> history there's just it is, yeah. it is it is another joke that i think like was not necessary not um like going to the house getting the phone and everything that that whole part is is great but they're they're sitting there they're listening to the message and then they have chased them <laughs> christina <laughs> and her husband have chased them uh 20 miles apparently <laughs> yes still on their tail to <laughs> uh it's such such a good bit just throughout the movie just the what is it with you and hot ladies because he's even at the uh the the knicks game um when they they get up from their courtside seats and she's like call me (laughs) it's just some random person that he's sitting next to well that random person was brooke shields oh shit was it yes god i need to yes it's it's brooke shields and tracy morgan are there okay got it beside yeah. them well i, um, I caught tracy morgan people in the crowd how did i miss yeah it's brooke shields okay uh, that's the second movie that we are covering that like brings up brooke shields specifically <laughs> <laughs> so 
It's <laughs> we we have some odd, odd themes that like like give run give like a, a tie this all together. <laughs> yeah, but I love the uh I love so I love that bit uh the saxophone riffs. Like yeah, the so sad saxophone riffs which is very sa- cop. Yes, the saxophone riffs were something I called out as well because it it is super super reminiscent of like the hard-boiled detective, you know, kind of like 50s, 60s noir uh, police action. And uh, it, it, that was something that I'm, I'm actually really disappointed in myself that I didn't catch the first time through as directly pointing to this being a, a riff on on that kind of movie. Um, because it's almost so out of place uh, that I, I don't know how I didn't notice it. Um, but yeah, it's it, the the music that they pull into certain sequences, especially when uh, this is a, I think this whole scene is almost directly lifted out of a fifties noir is when they're down by the waterside and the sax is playing. And, uh, and Mark Wahlberg says something like, I come here whenever I have problems with women. So I'm here basically every night. And it's, it's so like dramatic and over the top. And it's like, yep, this is, this could have been in the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, he's like, you're not a real cop unless your wife throws you out of the house. <laughs> uh, which, again, it, it it makes me then think more of uh, the untouchables and uh, how the relationship between Ness and his wife uh, played out in that movie. And there was like an anger over the kind of you know job that he was taking, you know, pride that he would do something like this, that he would take on Al Capone, but also this anger and fear to put the family in the line of fire. And it is it is played for laughs in this film in, uh, in, in a pretty, <laughs> pretty hysterical way. I think there's a really interesting symmetry uh, in this film where um, we finally get Alan's past and we learn that he used to be a pimp, which he's clearly <laughs> in denial about. He's yeah. He's, he's like, like, no, I was not a pimp. The story. <laughs> um, you can't have a conscience in the pimp game. Um, you but can't then, have a conscience, but it's very interesting. So he goes into a business enterprise where he mm-hmm. manages other people. He manages their money and takes a cut from yes. it. And he grows and just like, until he reaches a point where he just goes over the edge and yep. things have to change. He has to give up that life. Um, what is the problem in this movie? What is the conflict in this movie? There is a, a man. Guy. Yep. <laughs> Who takes other people's money, gives himself a percentage. <laughs> and is mishandling that to the point that he gets himself in a lot of trouble. In over his head. And uh, there he is. He is metaphorically ass up, inflamed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was just, like, that's very interesting. Just in deep with the Chechnyans and their failed door of the Explorer. <laughs> the Chechnyans, the Nigerians. The Nigerians, yes. Talk about them. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It's a, um, it's a, it's a well done symmetry in, in that regard too. Um, I, and this is where I think that the movie has a missed opportunity, um, rather than having some of those like scenes for the sake of scenes, it would have been interesting, especially because Will Smith is, or Will Smith, Will Ferrell is playing a little bit more of a, uh, like a, a straight man in this movie to actually have him pontificate on the symmetry between him and the villain. I think that would have been a really interesting, um, I don't know how they would have delivered it, but that would have been fascinating to see that called out a little bit more directly. 
but you don't necessarily want to hold your audience hand all the that's time. a good point no that's it, so I, yeah that's a really better good point figure it out on your own um oh the other thing that makes this movie super relevant is the uh sec commentary <laughs> i freaking loved that yes it's like you guys except do for a pretty good job you know except for enron and bank capital ones and, yeah <laughs> they, well and here's the thing is like you i've i've learned in in recent times just like how largely ineffective the sec is yeah you know you'd like to think that there's this big regulatory powerhouse and they're not well they and what's so hamstrung and what's really kind of uh frightening about the way that the sec works is that um a lot of their a lot of their agents end up consulting for the financial firms that they're supposed to be overseeing and so part of the reason that the financial firms are so good at dodging around the SEC is because they're staffed by former government agents who know the system very well and can advise mm -hmm. them on how to dodge around it. And that's very troubling. I, that was so that was why that moment in the movie was so great, because they like, yeah. have to turn this over to the SEC and it's the fucking guy's lawyer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's his lawyer. And that's that's the uh, David Wallace, right, from yes. the office. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> who plays those roles perfectly like yes. i feel bad for him because i don't think he'll ever get outside of that typecast but he is so well suited for just like the corporate he he looks like somebody who could be walking around the office of any office building anywhere well and i think i caught from an episode of the office ladies another podcast uh, <laughs> but i think they talked about like early on when they started their show like i think he was oh. a, a financial guy like i that think would he was. That explains it. Yep. So yeah, he can absolutely do that role. The yeah. So the SEC commentary was was great, and it still it still resonates. Still hyper relevant. Yeah. I, I, if it were not for the way that some of the the comedy in this movie um, plays out, in in just in terms of like the uh, like the communities that it it, it kind of harms, uh, I think that there is a lot in here that. May the fact that it maintains relevancy uh, twelve years on one doesn't feel great uh, in terms of like <laughs> you know that's a problem <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's, that's really not, not good. a good thing actually no uh, <laughs> it's it's really it's really not good um but it, it the fact that it, it somehow makes it timeless this is a movie that you could dig up today and watch it. And it would almost feel like it was, it was made today. Like, like I said, there's, mm -hmm. there's very, a couple of things that you hear in there that I think date it in, in a, a certain kind of way. But um, otherwise it, this, this movie is almost still just as relevant now as it was 12 years ago when we first started broaching these issues. Yeah. And um, the, if it's still not entirely clear to you by the end of the film, well, don't worry. Uh, the credits have everything. So, so I let me let me say this real quick. I put a note um, because I like uh, the the whole ending action sequence. I for whatever reason by that point I'm like just sort of checked out with with the movie. Um, and I think because the unevenness finally starts to get to me. I think this movie's a little bit long um, for for what it delivers on. And if it had been cut down by 10, 15 minutes, I'd probably still be very engaged. So my last note was kind of checked out for the ending but i sat up as the credits started to roll and all it was 
was facts and figures about the financial crisis, the corruption, and all the shit that went into that. I was like, wow. And how the government handled it. How it was handled. Yeah. I was like, yeah. this was unexpected. And it is, it, it is a, it, 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 it's not just a nail in the coffin. It is somebody going at it with like a pneumatic hammer. Like, I, I couldn't believe that they, especially to, as a tag on the rest of this movie, they, it's, it's not subtle anymore. They, they, they stop hiding the joke and they are just, here is what we are talking about. Yeah. Because, yeah, because white collar crime is not sexy. It would not nope. play out like this. Um, uh, it's, it's way more subtle. Um, but that people won't pay attention to that. Right. Um, you got to have something kind of bizarre happen which is like which is why the 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 GameStop thing was such a big news thing yeah shit like that happens all the time but not like this right and it was so unique and astounding that these armchair guys were doing exactly what these big hedge fund people do and the big hedge fund people were like no no not no that's you're not allowed to do that this is that's not what you're supposed to do yeah, exactly. And it like the, another one that's it's not quite as dramatic, so it's not getting the same headlines right now that's going on, um, which we're going to date this podcast with these references uh, is <laughs> uh, Bed Bath and Beyond is uh, going through a, a short squeeze. And so like Bed Bath and Beyond's um, stock price, despite the fact that well, actually, this is this is a perfect fucking tie in considering yeah, where poor Mark, poor Mark, yeah. <laughs> his poor bisexual son. It's for, exactly. Yep. Money. Yep. His, his... <laughs> um, that's another joke where you're like, okay. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but there is a short squeeze going on right now with bed, bath and beyond. And it's, it's stock price has gone way up for inexplicable reasons other than, you know, it, private investors, these armchair investors, like you were saying, have figured out how to game this system in the same way that financial, uh, like established capital has been doing for the last 30 years. And, and it catches people's attention because somehow when it's, when it's the, the common person doing it, it does in a, in a way, make it more sexy. Like, oh, this is something that I can do. It's not something that's distantly removed, removed with, you know, people in their glass towers and 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 all that kind of I'm, the David Wallace's of the world. Uh, it, it it makes it much more interesting because it is so astounding. Yeah, it's it's really funny, and you don't like you have to see how it all pans out. Um, yes, like ultimately, I think we found out like the GameStop thing didn't really matter long term. I guess no the news cycle it, it, moved on. Uh, it did. And, and unfortunately the, you know, the powers that are in place fixed that system again, so that it, you know, because a a lot of what caused the GameStop, uh, revolution, so to speak, was the ability for common people to day trade very, very quickly on platforms like Robinhood. And as Mm -hmm. soon as that process was slowed down and they put a, uh, you know, an obstacle in, in there, uh, it is going to make it that much more difficult for something like that to happen again. But yeah, it, it, it I, I can't say, you know, with any certainty that that had any real impact on the way that finances will move in the United States going forward. It was an interesting moment. It was crazy. 
And now we've just kind of gone back to status quo. Except GameStop is doing pretty well right now. Are they? They're they're doing okay. Okay. Which I'm I'm happy they... to hear because that's I'm I have to go buy a Cowabunga collection and I will probably buy it from GameStop. There it is. We got our reference in. <laughs> we had to get it in there. I, I, I about 20 minutes ago, I was actually sitting and spinning. And I was like, how are we going to get the Ninja Turtles into this one? Because we, <laughs> we we haven't even approached a topic yet that that feels like we can naturally get them in. This was a nice segue. So I appreciate that. Yes, we have, as with every episode, managed to mention the Ninja Turtles. It was so organic. It was so organic. It was naturally done. It fit. It did. No, it fit perfectly. Uh, but no, <laughs> seriously, me... like GameStop is doing pretty okay right now. Um, okay, that's good. Partially from I know that. that uh, apparently, they'd gotten into or were trying to get into the NFT game, and it was like a really hackneyed approach. And everybody's like, why Why are you doing this now? And so I, I wasn't sure if like their their rebound had been kind of stagnated because they're they're now trying to like jump on trends but yeah well i mean we can look at where they are like a year from now and that's true that's a good point yeah (laughs) we'll come back to this it might be going the circuit city route oh poor circuit city no poor radio shack because at least Uh, honestly is dead radio shack is still limping along in certain small cities uh uh radio shack and like, and the thing is, is like you radio need shack a rotary phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I think of like for Radio Shack is like when you need like very odd like electronic bits, like a female to female coupler or like a watch battery, shit like that. Like you could go to Radio Shack to to find it. And and it was the the fact that there isn't like a essentially a Walgreens of electronics anymore. You know, it was just like a little corner drugstore, but mm-hmm. it was just electronics. I that is kind of a loss to the world. I I'll go on record as saying I miss Radio Shack. Well, let's see if we can get you one. <laughs> get you a Radio Shack. Maybe do it as like a pop up. There. Oh, a pop up Radio Shack. You know what's funny about that? I think that's just memeable to uh, enough to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything know. old is new again, my friend. It really is. It it really really is. Uh so you yeah. just need to jazz up the logo a little bit and you need to go to like one of those um uh very popular like minimalist logos. So it's just like an R and an S in some sort of like fancy font. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people are like, oh, interesting. What is this RS? And then they come in and they're like, wait, these are the things that I normally get on Amazon and they're here in person. What is this? <laughs> What is this? It's amazing. Oh, and, and at a 30% price markup. Wow. Because <laughs> that was the thing. Last time I went into a Radio Shack, it was, uh, it had what I needed, but it was way more expensive. And I was like, do you know who you are? Right. <laughs> like, who do you think you are, Radio Shack? <laughs> If anything, this should be thirty percent less. It should be. You should not be trying to hold me over a barrel. Six months, you keep doing (laughs) shit like this. Oh man! Like I said, poor Radio Shack. I uh, I I enjoy Radio Shack in 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 an odd way. Just I, I think that's the just kind of the electronics nerd in me, where I was never really good at putting things together, but I liked taking them apart and seeing what the insides looked like. Radio Shack was just a whole store full of that. Yeah electronics not you know <laughs> well i'm just i'm worried about your mom's toaster now oh, oh. <laughs> no. 
Uh, yeah, I did disassemble some things that I was not supposed to as a kid. Uh, there, there were a few, uh, I, I, I think I absolutely took apart a boombox or a radio and could not get that back together. That was, so then it, it became Ryan had to wait for something to break and then he was allowed to take it apart. That was how there I got to go. see the inside of a computer for the first time. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. So to rein us back in. Yeah, I was gonna say we. This is this has been a wonderful tangent, but we are <laughs> we are way away from the other guys right now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, would you revisit this franchise? Would you try to take another crack at this film or see these guys in another adventure? That's a great question. I I, I think that part of me. So I, I went two directions with. Um, actually, I I entertained arguments for all three of these, and I'll, I'll settle on one of them. Um, I do think a prequel would be very interesting to see Mark Wahlberg, uh, you know, Terry Hoyt's in his like training phase leading up to him shooting Derek Jeter and seeing him being like kind of a hot shot young cop who is very much on the rise in his career and makes this one fatal mistake that completely derails him. Um, I, th- I think that would be a fun story to explore uh, with Mark Wahlberg um, aging, not, not that he's aging poorly, but he is getting older. I think a, a prequel is is difficult to accomplish at this point. A reboot would be very interesting because uh, I would like to see this movie played a little bit more straight ahead with some of just like the slapstick removed and to get a much sleeker cop satire out there. I think that it would it would still um, you could almost just redo this script but with some of that like goofiness pulled out. And again, like we were saying, because it's so relevant, it would be easy to approach it uh, uh, again today, which does lead me to the best thing I think would be a a direct sequel where you take that learning from the first one. You just strip out some of the the, the buffoonery, the the slapstick, and you do another adventure with these two guys um, and just address, uh, you know, like additional um, modern concerns uh, surrounding policing, surrounding, uh, you know, white collar crime, all of that. Like you could sort of do a sequel that was also a, uh, a reboot. So my vote in this one is going to be sequel. Um, I'd love to see these two guys back together again. I'd like to see these characters played out uh, a second time um, just with uh, a couple of learnings from the, uh, the original. I think when you do a satire, it's so hard to like, try to continue it as a franchise agree like you've made your point yeah so it's like if you do a sequel it's okay but what is the bit right what what is the bit and um and i and i'm I'm not sure that doing a sequel would ever reach the same kind of it would never be as effective as this one like i i think of um airplane and airplane 2 i love both airplane movies but airplane one is clearly superior uh, yes. You know, because the, the like you said, the the point has been made. But I will still watch Airplane Two. I still really enjoy that. They're they they do enough different in that one that um, I I enjoy every minute of it. Uh, and like with Airplane Two, where they go from it being strictly you know a passenger airliner to it's now a spacecraft, and they're kind of lampooning space movies. With the other guys, you could move their career from being, you know, local beat cops to they're now in like some sort of federal agency because of breaking this case. And now we get to see that. That would be very interesting. Uh, Yeah. I I was kind of thinking along similar lines is like they wouldn't be New York cops anymore. Right. They would have to be something different. And you either take it the one direction where they're now at a federal level. Yep. um, Or you take it the other direction where 
things went wrong for them again and now they're like <laughs> they're, they're now like private eyes yeah trying okay. to do like a, oh. a, a, a pi business yeah. and then you're playing more on like the film noir like oh my private God. eye tropes hoyts and gamble sounds like a private, a private investigator yeah exactly yeah. oh that's but too good but again like where's the sexy angle is yeah. just like they want to investigate like, you know, the cheating spouses and the, <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. and the stuff, but, like reality is something really more mundane, kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, important. Right. Uh, and I'm trying to think what is, what is a social issue right now? That's not, um, that's not financial crisis type stuff. Yeah. Uh, something, something to figure something out. Something else that, yeah, exactly. It, it would be it'd be something to think about um, and consider, like, how could you approach it from uh, from the angle of two private investigators who are, uh, <laughs> you know, just leftovers from the, uh, you know, the New York City cop game. And, and now they're trying to do it on their own. And yeah, that's that's a cool idea. I like that. I like that. So that's the other guys. This movie is definitely worth a watch. Yes. Uh, please, forgot about please. it. But you like Adam McKay's work. Um, it's and it, 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 it is it is well done in, in in its time period. I'll also say that if you were disappointed by the Max Payne movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg, you get to see him in a proper bullet time shootout in this movie. So you know, maybe just watch those two minutes and be like, okay, this is what Max Payne should have been. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, so over the top too, because he manages to do this. In a financial, in a boardroom. <laughs> yes, it gives you it gives you every cop action trope there in the finale. It's just what it's about is so ridiculous, so uh, ridiculous. The, the stupid joke. He's like, "When where did you learn to drive like that?" Grand Theft Auto, and then Grand- pays it off again a second later. Was like, "Somebody's been playing Grand Theft Auto." Somebody's been playing Grand Theft Auto. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And, and it's, it, <laughs> any, anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, this one's, uh, the, this one comes recommended. Um, it's, it's fun. It's a good time. Uh, it, it's an opportunity. You can approach it in one of two ways. You can turn your brain off and just kind of enjoy the sort of Talladega Nights, uh, style comedy that, that comes at you. Um, or you can really, really dive into it and think about, you know, some of the points that it's trying to make. Um, and I, I think that there's, there's a good reason to watch this in, in either as background noise or as something that you actually focus on. Yeah. There's, there's some good bits in here, great jokes in here, some, some good performances in here. Yes. Some very and, good performances. Um, I mean, and if you love the rock, like, God, God, I mean, he delivers in the the, the, <laughs> the two minutes at the beginning, the yeah, the seven minutes total of screen time that I think he has uh, is just it's great. Which one last thing to touch on, then, if we were going to do a prequel, I would love to see a completely pedal to the floor version of the rock and Sam Jackson's character from the beginning of this movie. I'd oh love to see God. their, their see movie. Their rise dancing in Highsmith. Yeah. Yes. I, but I, spin-off. there you go. Spin-off. spinoff. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that. Those, that first five minute action sequence. I want to see 90 minutes of that kind of insanity. And so, uh, that I would say would also make a very effective spinoff slash prequel. Well, there you go. Yeah. 
anyway get on it hollywood yeah uh really interesting um matt damon on one of those like hot ones style shows recently broke down why hollywood essentially from a financial standpoint cannot take risks and chances with movies anymore and it was it, it was like troubling but also made a lot of sense um and it's all because it's because of streaming. This is really an, it, this was an he interesting conversation. Wings. What's that? He did this while eating hot wings. Yeah. But it, the, this, this one's called, uh, uh, first we feast very okay. similar to, to hot ones, but oh, yeah, okay. he was eating hot wings and basically broke down that, um, when you like budgeted for a movie, you budgeted its run in theaters but then also understood that DVD sales were going to help like essentially give it a second release and a second life without physical media contributing to the financial success of films anymore. A film has to make all of its money now on an initial release. And if it doesn't, then, and so without physical media to help boost the financial performance of films, movies that take chances anymore are very, very unlikely to get made because if they don't like the, um, I guess a, an example of in, in Damon's recent work was the last duel, which completely flopped. And it was Ridley Scott, Adam driver, Matt Damon, like really, really awesome team. It flopped financially in, in theaters, but it likely was something that could have had a good second life with a cult following, um, in physical release, but because it, it's not going to get the same kind of physical media release movies like that just simply won't be made. And so that it was, it was a really sobering look at why Hollywood feels so vapid right now. And it's because the, the, the streaming push has effectively killed the opportunity for uh, movies to make a, a second run. Well, then I think they need to rethink their priorities. I, well, I do too. I mean, I mean, I, there, there was a, a time where movies were movies that took chances were made before physical media. I mean, the, the VHS didn't come out until the mid eighties. And so like you either saw a movie in theaters or you did not see it at all. And they made some weird shit in the fifties and sixties. Um, so like, I, I don't understand why we can't get back to that style of like low budget filmmaking. I think part of it is everybody's expectation is that every movie is a blockbuster with all these big over the top effects. I'm like, nah, we can go back to rubber suits. Like th those movies were just fine. Like I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just, yeah. Maybe I'm crazy for thinking that. Well, there's, there's, I mean, there's a glut. There is of, of media. There's so much of it to consume and <sighs> we're kind of contributing to it here, uh, doing a podcast <laughs> of mediocre films. Um, but... well, and I think that, uh, I'm actually kind of in favor of the, the sort of like splintering and niching of, of media. Um, I, I think that it's, it's nice that no matter what your like kind of weird bent is, you can probably find media that, that fulfills that desire. So I'm, I'm very on board with that, but I will say that like the, the most popular things like the, you know, the big ones, I, the, the two that come to mind are fucking star Wars and Marvel, um, IPs that I used to be so invested in that I'm just exhausted with at this point. There is so much Marvel content coming out right now that I just, I can't care about it anymore. And I loved the run up to the, um, the infinity war saga. I thought that was, it was one of the greatest, like, uh, like film culture movements to be a part of at the time. And now I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just tired. Like I, you know, I, I don't care about what's, you know, the, the new Marvel content. I don't care about the, the new star Wars content the way that I used to. 
And I think it's it's to your point. It's it's a glut of it. There's just there's so much of it. Yeah, we need fresh stuff. Fresh stuff. Not necessarily every fucking week. Yes. No. It it does not. I, I mean, I make this argument though with with other writers who uh, look at the like at, look at book sales like a zero sum game, and I'm like, you're insane if you think readers are only reading from one author because it takes so damn long to, to produce a book that even if you read the book in one week, that writer probably has not written a new book that readers are like hanging on to and waiting for. No readers read from a, you know, a variety of, of different authors. It is not a zero sum game to be an author. And I think that we need to start taking that approach again, just with media in general, like mass media movies, music should not be thought of as a zero sum game because nobody is so devoted to a single fan base that they're only consuming there. There's, I mean, maybe there are, but I feel like this person would be terribly boring and just absolutely drab. Maybe there are people who only watch Marvel and that's unfortunate, but sorry if I offended you, I don't, I don't mean to attack people this early in the morning, but like have more interests. That's my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's the thing. Like people have right. A broad, Generally speaking, people have a very broad interest in things. They yes, like they're dynamic. One thing. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. And we are just trying to hit the middle of the road. Yep, with this exactly. <laughs> just just like, here's some here's some stuff that's perfectly mediocre. That's It's totally it's, fine. It's totally fine. And yep. um, not, you know, it, it's worth a Redbox rental. It's worth a... You know, that $5 sale on Voodoo, like, go for it, man. It's 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 fine. You just need something on the background and do whatever. Or you want to take another look at something, see if you missed something the first time around like the other guys. Yeah. Do it. Back, back when I was an Amazon Prime member, I had a rule that if I came across a movie on physical media that looked even mildly interesting, if it was $4.99 or less, it was an automatic buy. Like, I didn't even think about it. I just and, I, and that's why I have some very odd movies in my movie collection. Um, but this is one of those films that I would have been like, uh, if I'd seen it for, for five bucks, like you, like you just said, I auto buy, like there's, there's nothing wrong with these movies. There, there's nothing that's so, I don't think so terribly offensive that you're going to like walk away being like, Oh, why did I waste my time watching that? It's, it's the, these are great movies just to put on in the background or to turn your brain off for a little while. Yeah, exactly. So thanks for listening yep. guys. Yeah. We, <laughs> we love the fact that people are listening. I am like, actually kind of humbled by the fact that there are people listening to this right now. And I'm super stoked and hope that we continue to deliver on the kind of content that you are looking for. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I apologize to the listeners because I've been trying to end this podcast for like 10 minutes. Uh, but Ryan had a lot to say. Um, I'm sorry. About the film industry, which is no, I'll it's very good. <laughs> I'll shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were making very good points. I've, we have to leave it in. It's very good. Uh, yeah. it's very good stuff. I was just like, Oh shit. He's got more to say. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it always goes that direction. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's great. That's okay, great. Let's, good stuff. Let's keep it up. Uh, but yeah, yeah, thanks for listening guys. We'll see you next week. See you next week.